0: You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time, you have to be patient, and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary but what are you going to do to get there welcome to the magnet method podcast and i am very lucky and fortunate to sit down today with miss katie mark katie is a member at anatomy at 1220 she's also a sports nutritionist a research and development consultant and writer for sports performance she recently reserved two master's degrees at tufts university She has a master's in nutrition communication from the School of Nutrition and a master's in public health from the School of Medicine. Katie is working toward becoming a sports registered dietitian so she can work full time in pro sports start in 2018. Welcome to the show, Katie.
1: Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. I'm
0: very excited to have you here because Katie has been schooling me on all things nutrition for a few weeks now. And when she talks, I shut up and I listen so katie's gonna help us out with some tips here but just tell she's gonna kind of tell us what's going on she works with a lot of athletes uh in all seriousness she's a a very smart young lady and um it's really a joy to have her on the show so we we, i'm gonna ask her some questions here but i'm just gonna let her talk about what's going on now with nutrition and what she's working on so what's going on
1: all right well there's a lot of really cool things going on uh, in the sports nutrition world Especially related to sport performance, Um, a lot of the stuff that's going on relates to the gut health, and that meaning, uh, you know, people need to have a good balance of good gut bacteria in their gut. Um, So more good gut bacteria versus bad gut bacteria. Um, So having that balance um, and the the right gut bugs um, to have, then for them to have function in your body, and this can relate to strengthening your immunity, um, lowering inflammation, uh, helping with metabolism, such as um, helping with absorbing certain nutrients in the diet, um, helping with antioxidants, um, and also with brain health, which is really um, picking up in with respect to your gut microbiota, so the, the, the gut bugs, um, talking to your brain. And they can talk to your brain in so many different, well, actually three different ways. Um, and one of the ways is through uh, signals that they can release from your gut that go into your blood and towards your brain. Um, they can also talk to your brain um, through a, a nerve that goes to your brain uh, with different hormones and, and neurotransmitters that they can release. And so all of that's really impacting your your brain health and your ability to think and your mood and your anxiety. Um, and it's really a fascinating area. And of course, it's it's still in its infancy because Studying the gut is very difficult um, and also studying the brain is is quite difficult Um, but there's a lot of uh, Interesting links that are that we're seeing in terms of what's in your gut the types of bugs and how many of them that are good And then health outcomes in the long term, so it's 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 pretty fascinating and the research is only growing in that um, especially with all of the, you know, metabolic diseases and, and, and everything. And um, so it's pretty, a pretty cool area. And so the, the goal with that is to optimize it, especially in the athlete, um, because they have so many stressors um, on their body. And, and these stressors can range from just, you know, normal psychological stress um, to exercise stress. So, you know, they typically, uh, moderate intensity exercise is protective Um, But when you get to the high intensity exercise, especially with a high training volume, um, it really has a bad effect on your gut. Uh, Specifically, it can break down um, your gut barrier, which is about one cell thick, so it's very thin. And what happens is, is, especially during high intensity exercise, when your blood goes away to your gut, to your working muscle, your gut doesn't receive a lot of nutrients and oxygen. Um, And so it can really hurt that that cell lining. And then when that falls apart, that's when bad things that are in your gut or different types of foods and different types of bad bacteria can then get into your bloodstream. And then they can go and, uh, you know, affect different parts of your body. So the whole goal is to have good gut bacteria that strengthen that barrier um, and prevent that from happening. And so um, it's really, it's it's an easy target if you think about it to, to have you know good gut bacteria and and uh, good gut health, and it really starts with your diet. Um, it well, it starts with at birth how actually you're born, um, and then over time, you know, there's different the composition of the different uh, gut bacteria that you have develops in response to stress, in response to different types of diets, um, and specifically the Western diet. Um, prevalent in our country obviously is uh really not that great for your gut um and you know it's just really fascinating how you can see all those things and even um jet lag and and traveling abroad can change your your gut the the types of bacteria in it um and so all these different things can have an impact and heat stress and pollutants um so it's really cool to try to to manage all of that especially in the athlete that is prone to all those exposures um, because you know over time um, it's gonna lead to certain health outcomes that could be good or bad um, and so that's a really cool area that i've been focusing on right now um, and then another area is uh functional beverages and this is a really I, I like this area because I've been a little bit anti-sports drinks. Um, I think that they have been really overused. Um, they have their context in which they're, they could be appropriate, but due to marketing, it's not really um, going to the right people who should be drinking it. And if you think about it, it's just sugar water. Um, and I, I like to talk about this because I really believe that the commercial sports drink is kind of part of a uh, as a, a component of a problem in which we're seeing athletes who are fit but unhealthy. I'm sure you've seen that of course, before, of
0: course.
1: um, where, you know, you can have an athlete with six pack abs and you know, he can, you know, his performance is fine. But then when you do a blood test on him and you see that his fasting blood glucose is pre-diabetic, that's when obviously you see a different story. Um, and so it's kind of like you have to target, you know, different components of the diet, um, To figure out how can you optimize that, and and, you know, Um, so I really think that sports drinks um, have kind of contributed to that, and that's why I really like the concept of functional beverages. Um, And so I do a lot of work with uh, in the functional drink industry, who are trying to break into the sports drink industry. Um, And specifically, I've done a lot of work in the watermelon space. I love watermelon water (laughs) and I'm drinking it right now. Um, And- Why, why?
0: tell us why it's so beneficial. I know it's packed with, there's different things in there and I'm sure you're getting to it, but they're gonna wanna ask me, every Mm -hmm. single person I walk by tomorrow is gonna wanna know why. So why don't you hit them with the, uh, why it's so beneficial?
1: Because it fulfills the purpose of a sports drink. So if you need a sports drink, the purpose is uh, for hydration, so fluid. Um, as well as electrolytes, specifically sodium um, and also a little bit of carbohydrate. But most of the sports drinks have a lot of carbohydrate. And I mean, this is a little bit out of the scope, but there's different types of carbohydrates and some are better than others. Um, And I really like watermelon water because it is a functional beverage, meaning um, you get more nutrients per calorie and, you know, a lot of the times with athletes, they have an energy rich diet, but they have a nutrient poor diet. And so, you know, athletes typically go to the sports drink for, you know, the fluid, the electrolytes, the carbohydrate. Um, But I really think that they should maximize the type of drink that they choose. Um, And because Gatorade, you know, and all these other sports drinks don't offer anything more than that. And if you look at the watermelon water, Yes, it's fluid. Yes, there's some carbohydrate in it. In fact, there's um, a bit of fructose in it. And this is actually a very interesting carbohydrate um, because fructose has actually been considered functional for Mm. athletes. Um, And there's also, I mean, there's a lot of potassium in it and typically athletes don't get a lot of potassium. Um, And there's also lycopene in it, which is an antioxidant Um, and typically lycopene is associated with uh, tomatoes Um, but this actually has a lot more lycopene in it than a tomato Um, it also has a an amino acid called citrulline Um, and this is an interesting amino acid because a lot of drinks claim that it helps with with muscle recovery and specifically it helps um, not going into the logistics of it but it helps with Widening blood blood vessels and allowing more nutrients and blood to get to your muscles and and toxins to come out Um, But it what's really important to know is that yes There's a bit of citrulline in watermelon water, um, especially since the main food source of citrulline is watermelon Um, But it's not enough to make a claim that it's going to help with muscle recovery So that's a really interesting area of research going on. How much do you need um, in a watermelon beverage um, how much citrulline do you need to have that sport performance benefit and, and I'm someone who's like you know what if there's a little bit it's better than none um, and so I really think that you know and going off of that what what's really cool is that um, it just kind of shows you that you know these watermelon companies or these you know different functional beverages really need to look into the science to make sure that, you know, whatever their formula is for their product, that they're getting enough of a certain nutrient to state that there's a sport performance benefit. Um, so really, in, in a nutshell, it fulfills watermelon water, fulfills um, or watermelon juice, as long as there's nothing else in it, um, and it's just plain watermelon. Um, it really fulfills, you know, what the intention of a sports drink is. Granted, there's no sodium in it, um, but if you think of, you know, if you think holistically in your diet, you know, not everything has to have sodium, especially in the context of exercise. Think of the other foods you're eating, um, you know, right then and there as well as throughout the day. Um, and so that's really not a big factor, um, but it's just enough, you know, carbohydrate if you need a little pick me up and it's really helpful for athletes who, who just need a little something um, as well as um, something that's palatable um because a lot of times athletes or anyone exercising you know they don't want to just drink water because it's not really you know refreshing or enticing Mm -hmm. and so that's another reason why i like functional beverages and i think that they need to focus on obviously something that is palatable but also balanced with the right formula Um, and so that's kind of a bit of what i do in terms of that um but I, i like it because overall it's um a very nutrient-dense option for athletes and anyone um, and it's I in my opinion it's a perfect healthful swap for if you're looking for a sports drink um, that's not your typical sports drink
0: okay perfect I wanted to hit on citrulline do you want to wait or do you want to hit it now
1: we can hit it yeah.
0: okay so c- th- just to discuss the uh, the value of uh, citrulline in regards to recovery in the dosing
1: so Typically, when people supplement with citrulline, it's something called citrulline malate. So malate is just a salt that attaches to it. Um, and it's kind of across the board in terms of studies showing you know, whether it's, it's you know, uh, there's a, a sport performance benefit. Um, but, and, and that's the hard part because a lot of the studies, they, they use different dosages and they use different timings of that dosage um, and they have all different types of subjects, uh, whether they're trained versus not trained, um, and so it, the jury's kind of out on how much citrulline you need. And typically, they'll say you know six to eight grams of citrulline malate, and um, you know, it, so if you're going to supplement with it, there is no specific protocol on, like the dose and when to take it. But typically, it's around six to eight. That's kind of been like the, the medium area in terms of what the studies have shown. I think some have, you know, done up to 15 grams, but then you, you think about it. And it's just, you know, it, it's kind of like, well, is this something that you need to consider based on the size of the athlete? I mean, if you have a 300 pound football player, is he gonna, you know, benefit from six to eight grams of citrulline malate versus a 120 pound tennis player? I mean, it really. So it, it depends, and um, it would be really cool to see what the research kind of shows on that. But then translating it to watermelon, which is the, the dietary source with the most amount of citrulline, um, the it's, you can't just say 6 to 8 grams from citrulline malate versus citrulline and watermelon, because typically, nutrients that are in their natural source are more available to the body. And so, because of that, you really don't need as high as an amount as you would need, for example, for citrulline malate. So, with watermelon, it could be maybe one gram. It could be three grams. I mean, and going off of that, some studies have shown with their watermelon drinks that you know it was one gram. Um, another showed that it was three grams. But then you have to go even further and you can't make those claims because all of their formulas for their watermelon drinks were different because some of them use different parts of the watermelon such as the, the, the rind right. and some use the, the flesh. So it really just depends on what their formula is and, and in also the processing because you do lose nutrients um, in certain processing techniques. Um, so it's really not that easy um, but it's really exciting to try to figure out.
0: Very exciting. You know, I the dose that you just discussed—you said six to eight grams. That's not even what's recommended on the back of it. any sort of bottle that you buy. It's probably one to two, right? Mm-hmm. I, why do you think they're so behind? Because it would actually benefit them to sell more. Mm-hmm. So
1: I I couldn't tell you with with the supplement industry. It's sometimes people have different motives, um, and it depends on the company. It also depends on who is advising them on the not only the food science, but also the nutrition science. Um, and so it really comes down to that because there's some watermelon companies that I've talked to and I've asked a question towards them regarding citrulline and the information that they gave me back was incorrect and it kind of made me think, well, who's advising them? Um, Because I had the answer, but I wasn't going to get it (laughs) because, I mean, that's like free consulting. Um, But and so it just comes down to, I think, who's advising and what their motives are in terms of a lot of times it's financial. Um, And sometimes people don't understand the science like they can't read a study and do anything more than regurgitate the abstract. And that's not good. I mean, you have to be able to read and understand, but then also apply um and a lot of the times with supplements it's whoever is they're working with in terms of advisement on the science side and it's you know all over the place
0: right right so where, where are we right now how do we going back to gut health i know we're, i'm jumping around a little bit my apologies but how do we start off to see if an athlete has uh is where they need to be in regards to gut health and i mean you can mention what we're doing or uh how do you start off to check an athlete for gut health?
1: I would ask them what they're eating um, in certain foods in which I know that there are probiotics as well as foods that have prebiotics. Um, so prebiotics you could consider like a fiber, uh, which feeds the probiotics. Um, I ask if they're supplementing with probiotics. Um, and then I just look at their diet and I look at certain foods that I know will stimulate good, uh, the growth of good gut bacteria. So that's the first thing I would do. Um, In terms of testing, you know, it also comes down to looking at, like, as an example, I can look at certain cyclists or triathletes, Ironmen, whoever, um, endurance athletes, and, you know, if they're getting sick a lot um, and I look at their training load and I look that they're not taking probiotics um, or consuming probiotics, Um, typically if you get in some probiotic supplementation in there that changes Um, they're less likely to get upper respiratory tract infections um, diarrhea Um, and so it's really kind of looking at you know what are what happens when you don't have good gut bacteria and when you see that then it's a good sign that they need I mean you you really do have to supplement with probiotics Mm -hmm. Um, now with mark um, what we've done recently was, is there's a company that, it's called Ubiome out of San Francisco, and they're doing a clinical study right now looking at uh, the bacteria in people's guts, and um, I just came across it, and well, I'd seen it before, and I saw that they were doing this clinical study, and typically you can, you know, you can get into these studies, and it's free, and so you get free data on yourself, so it's obviously cost-effective and so i did it and um i don't know what stimulated it with you mark but i think we were talking one day and um you were interested in it Or i i, I you know right, told you oh right. you should do this because oh because you like a, uh, you like to test everything on right. yourself
0: uh, yeah pretty much so <laughs> i
1: was like well this is this is free so you should try it um so i did it and um essentially you take a a, a sample of your stool and then you send it in it's very easy and then they analyze it and they tell you um the different types of bacteria in your gut. Uh, and I've yet to get mine back. I think I sent mine in maybe like a month ago or a month and a half ago, and I think Mark sent his in, you know a little after mine. Yeah. Um, so I'm waiting to to see that. But you know the the bacteria in your gut can change rather quickly, too, and they can change in response to diet actually within a few days. Um, and I believe after Mark did his um, his ubiome test, that's when he started supplementation or you had already been taking probiotics?
0: Uh, I, I, t- I took them. Uh, I was in the, in the middle of a layoff, basically. and I had stopped taking them okay. and then I restarted when I uh, got involved in the testing.
1: Okay. Now let me ask you, like were, when you took probiotics, Uh, before your layoff Mm. did you notice anything different in comparison to then you stopped taking probiotics and now you're back on it again like did you notice anything in terms of mood um, you know GI Uh,
0: I think I felt um, I was more um, structured basically Mm -hmm. and on top of that I think the mood did improve I believe that but I also think I wasn't on for long enough okay you know I need to be on from with more consistency but right now it's been two weeks maybe three weeks mm-hmm. and uh how long am i supposed to continue for i do know like the long haul but in regards to the testing
1: um w- that we're gonna do yeah um ideally i'd like you to test again uh, at the fourth week so you have okay. a second right. test that you right. could use okay but we could do it at, at two months it doesn't matter
0: right so i mean r- as of right now I don't feel a change, but uh, with the consistency, maybe I need at least another two weeks to feel it and then we'll go from there. Um,
1: And to go off of that with probiotic supplementation, um, and the reason why I emphasize it is because you really cannot get enough in your diet. Um, And so this is an appropriate moment to supplement with it, um, especially if you're an athlete and your body is under that much stress. Um, There's no reason not to. And but going off of that, it's not just easy as walking into a Whole Foods and looking down the aisle to choose a probiotic, which is very overwhelming if you don't know anything about it. Um, and so going off of that, you need to essentially it—you have to have the right strains, so right bacterial strains—and um, you need to have the right dose. And just as an example, um, typically probiotic supplementation, so they're the way that their dose is in something called um colony forming units or cfus Um, and so if you take a yogurt for example that has probiotics in it it'll be maybe like 1 billion cfus and if you look at a probiotic supplement it could be like 10 billion or 15 billion or 25 billion um and so the dose is really really important um because if you're not getting enough then i mean what are you really doing um and you have to think In terms of practicality, you can't get enough from the diet because if you have probiotics in a food like a yogurt, you know, a lot of the times the the different bacterial strains don't even make it to your gut to colonize because they're destroyed along the way. Um, And also in terms of practicality, how many yogurts do you have to eat in order to get, um, essentially, I'd recommend around 15 billion CFUs of probiotics a day And there's no real general recommendation of how much you need especially for athletes Um, but the one that i take for instance instance is about 25 billion Um, but i think around 15 billion um, seems appropriate based on what is used in the studies how much they use of each probiotic strain Um, so that's something to really take into consideration um, as well as you know the types of bacterial strains that are in Uh, the probiotic or in the the food containing probiotics because different strains have different effects in your body I mean some of them have uh, you know all they have the similar you know health core benefits with strengthening immunity uh, and lowering inflammation, but some of the other things like with nutrient absorption um, and you know affecting mood and and all these things with the brain that's going to come from different bacterial strains and you have to have the right amount of that strain in order to have that effect Um, And then going off of supplementation, but with that, there's, um, you know, you have to then look at the capsule. Like, what is it in? Um, Is this a capsule that's gonna have like a targeted release into the gut um, and release them slowly? Is it something that's gonna be degraded by the acidity in your stomach? Um, So, I mean, there's so many different factors that you have to consider in order to have um, an efficacious product. And the other thing is, and this kind of frustrates me, is um, probiotics is seen as a health halo, uh, especially within marketing. And so it's like if these companies they just you know slap the word uh, probiotics on their their product, and all of a sudden people are like, wow, this is so healthy, I need to take this. Um, but like I just mentioned, there's all these different factors in terms of getting the right product, mm-hmm. and it's very challenging for consumers and And I don't blame them. I mean if you don't know much about them It's very difficult to make a decision on it. It's not like just going in and buying vitamin C Um, and so that's just another big thing with probiotics. So essentially in a nutshell supplementing with probiotics um, And also trying to get some in your diet um and along with prebiotics, which is typically fiber um, and then uh, focusing on the right types of strains based on you know whatever particular health benefit you're looking on, and you could do a simple Google search with that, and then um, getting the right amount. So looking at around 15 to 25 billion um, CFUs, and it should state it on the product. Some products don't, so that's when you kind of get suspicious. Um, so it should state the strains as well as how much.
0: Right, and and, and why wouldn't they list if mm-hmm. they were like legit product, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what what are some of the other things that athletes need to be doing with that they're not doing, or what what are, some, are there any myths you want to debunk as you uh, you're immersed in research? What would you like to see more of?
1: I would like to see more nutrition periodization. Um, that's a new, uh, relatively new area um, in sports nutrition. I feel like with certain sports. Um, it's focused on you know this sport you need to have a high carbohydrate diet and you know you know typical things associated with that but what people forget and athletes forget and whoever is dealing with the athletes and telling them nutrition is that your energy needs change every day your training cycles that you go through you have mesocycle like all these different cycles and those energy needs within them change and you don't need to always have a high carbohydrate diet. And I'm not saying, I'm not against carbs, but the problem is, is that the selection of carbs is typically not the optimal selection. It's usually, you know, high sugar and high refined carbohydrate. And like I said, going back to athletes who are fit but unhealthy, um, you know, over time, your body is exposed to that. And obviously it has its time and its place in certain performance contexts. Um, but it's not really periodized very well in an athlete's diet. And going off of that, it's important to periodize it because there are training adaptations, you know, potential training adaptations that you can get. For instance, if you have a low carbohydrate intake and you go train, um, what happens is, the goal is to become better at burning fat um, and being metabolically efficient. And so doing that, essentially, you have to periodize your carbohydrate intake um, appropriately to kind of get those adaptations. Um, And this is really, really important for endurance athletes because if you look at some of them, you know, like Ironman and and triathletes, um, you know, there gets to be a point when you're in, you know, racing um, where you can't take in that many calories because of, uh, you know, your limit, your body's limit to absorb carbohydrate. Um, and really, you know, in terms of context, you know, having all of those, you know, as an example, a cyclist carrying, you know, all different types of fuel options, um, while on, while they're racing. Um, and so you need to be able to have your body be efficient at burning fat and then bringing in those, those sugars, um, at the right moment, especially when, you know, the intensity really escalates um and so i really think that you know and this goes back to the sports drink that it's just overdone because people are like oh i need i need the carbs right before you know this training session and it's like if you're doing a light training session and you just had lunch two hours ago i i you're this really hurts in terms of obviously also weight management um which athletes some athletes have issues with um and so i really like the concept of periodized nutrition um so periodizing carbohydrate intake and also periodizing uh, supplements. Uh, as an example, you, know, you wouldn't um, supplement with antioxidants in certain training uh, cycles because you want to get training adaptations. And if you take in too many antioxidants, it's going to hurt your ability to get those adaptations. So you would do it under certain contexts, um, you know, like you know, maybe in season when you're competing, um, it would make more sense uh, versus in the off season. Um, to and rea- then to
0: reap the benefit, Katie, you want to, you want to save that off for the regular season when it's really needed, really necessary. That's what you're saying.
1: Right. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. I'm sorry. Um, the other thing is, uh, protein. Uh, <laughs> this is a, an interesting topic because for some odd reason, there's been a lot of, um, misinformation in the media, um, in terms of a high protein diet. Um, so protein, it, it's really not emphasized in an athlete's diet. And I really have noticed this um, going through a dietetics curriculum um, and looking at the recommendations. Uh, the RDA um, is about 0.8 grams per kilo of body weight per day. And athletes need, I mean, typically it's the range of like 1.2 to like 2, they'll say for athletes, depending on, you know, whether are endurance or uh, resistance trained. Um, and... Really, I, I think it needs to be a lot more than that. Um, as an example, I'm in a high-protein diet study right now, and I'm at about 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. So I get about uh, 150 grams of protein a day, and, and some people have said to me, wow, that's a lot of protein, and, and it is. Um, but the purpose of it is that it really helps with lean uh, maintaining a lean body mass, um, and especially if you have an athlete who is trying to lose weight or lose fat mass um, and they're restricting calories going high protein has actually uh protective benefits on so that you don't lose your your muscle mass because when you restrict calories a lot of times you're going to lose your muscle um, in addition to to fat mass Um, so when you up the protein it's going to help preserve your lean body mass uh, and that's obviously very important um, and I just feel like it's not emphasized enough, especially since I see it in, uh, you know, athletes' diets where they're just not getting enough protein. Um, obviously, that's not all athletes, but uh, there's quite a bit. And it's really stemming from this, um, I guess, negative attitude towards um, that having that concept of you know athletes need to have more protein and and they'll say you know it's you know got a bad effect on your kidneys uh, which is not true Uh, it's never been shown that if you are healthy with no kidney problems and your resistance train resistance training uh, there's no bad effects on your kidneys and actually uh, one of the leading researchers uh, on protein uh, mark knows him dr jose antonio right he's done so much research on high protein um, in resistance trained individuals, and I think he's done up to like 4.4 grams per kilo weight per, per kilogram of body weight um, in an athlete, and there was no negative effects. And he's done, and he does a lot around like three grams. Um, so if you look at that in comparison to the RDA, the recommended. Um, daily allowance for protein, it's, you know, comparison of 0.8 grams to three or, you know, 4.4. I mean, that's a huge difference on how much protein you're getting. Um, And also in terms of bone health, uh, a lot of people who are against it have said that, you know, it's bad for your bone. It can uh, leach calcium out of your bones. And that's not true. Um, And and in fact, a, a review came, just came out from the National Osteoporosis Foundation, Um, Stating that high protein diet does not have uh, that type of effect on the bone Um, In fact, if you do have a high protein diet, it actually helps increase your absorption of calcium Um, And a lot of the times, uh, you know, there was a that uh, calcium um, You know perspective was because they were measuring uh, calcium in your urine and there was a high amount in terms of uh, high protein, having a high protein diet, but that's not reflective of your your blood uh, calcium levels, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's coming from your bone. Um, so there's all these different you know things going on. Where in the in the media, you'll see it in magazines where it's like, "their you know high protein diet is bad for you," and and sometimes I've even seen where they take it out of context. Um, I remember I, I can't remember what magazine it was uh, it was a popular magazine and they were saying their headline see this is where the, the big issue comes from is the headlines um, because they just want to get people to click on their their stories but it was saying that a high protein diet was bad and if you looked at the the article and read it and then you looked at the study they were looking at obese women who had all these other complications so you have someone who doesn't know about nutrition science and is just a consumer and is reading this article, all of a sudden they're thinking, oh my goodness, I can't be on a high protein diet. Um, And, but, and so people don't realize that, you know, what population is this study looking at? And so you see a lot of things taken out of context um, and that's really been a huge issue in terms of nutrition communication. Um, And so it's, for me, it's frustrating. Um, And so to me, those would be the big things that I just emphasize, the periodization of, of carbohydrate, um, the high protein and periodizing uh, like supplements like antioxidants based on the training cycle um, and even puritizing recovery drinks. Uh, it, but in, so whoever is in charge of the nutrition, that's where it's really important that they understand the athlete's sport and the demands um, and they understand the training cycles and the needs um, because you have to integrate both.
0: How important, and I know there's so many out there that may have not competed, with, I mean uh, researchers, doctors, or people who study in the field, how important is it to have, I say, I use the phrase touched, but uh, the term touched, but to have participated in the sport to understand how it feels to go through the rigors and the demands of that sport?
1: <laughs> you do need to have some skin of the game. Um, it's I'm a lot.
0: Let's be honest. A lot. Don't. A lot of I agree don't. with
1: you. One thousand percent. No, I agree completely. And it does bother me because um, some people who go into sports nutrition, whether they are a nutritionist, which is not really a regular regulated term. I mean, anybody can be a nutritionist. Um, anybody who eats food thinks they're a nutritionist. Actually,
0: this is true. Actually. <laughs> this is very
1: true. Um, and then you have registered dietitians, who, um, you know, that's the legal protected term from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And the funny part is, is that there's no strong sports nutrition um, in the dietetics curriculum, and. Granted, you know most people who come become RDS and go into sports nutrition, and that's like 0.5 percent of the RDS um, because it's obviously a very small market. Um, and given that there's no sports nutrition, very little. You really do have to be an athlete because you need to be able to understand it, and not only that, but want to look into the research. Um, it's kind of hard to, if you're just someone who, you know, exercises and and goes to a, you know, a Pilates class and a spinning class. A mace class. A mace class. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, you're a a dietitian that, you know, wants to work with athletes, that's not sport and that's not sport performance. And it's a different, a totally different ball game, in my opinion, And in terms of performance, you're going to do a lot with supplements, and that's just what it is, because there are certain things like creatine um, and some other things that where you can't get enough in the diet, and you have to be able to understand which athletes need, well, first of all, you have to be able to accept that they (laughs) should be able to have supplements, and there's a lot of registered dietitians who are anti-supplements because they think it's a food-first approach, which is totally correct. That's perfectly fine but when it comes to athletes there are certain things where you just have to supplement with it um and i think i i agree with that there could be a little bit of a negative connotation just because of the supplement industry um being you know a lot it's a huge money-making industry and you know with you know banned substances and supplements so you'll typically see a lot of uh registered dietitians including in the pros where they're just like no supplements um so but that then that takes someone who is in charge of the nutrition to really look into the supplements um, and understand them and figure out the ingredients and work with it um, so that an athlete could use it especially if there is a performance benefit but obviously looking at safety first um, and then looking at is this an efficacious um, product And so going back to, you know, should the person be an athlete or have played the sport? um, Yeah. Because they really then would understand the energy demands of that sport. They would understand the mental aspect of that sport. Because let's face it, sports is really, it's heavily psychological. Um, And they would understand why you would use certain supplements in certain situations. You know, why would you use beta alanine? You know, why would you use sodium bicarbonate or not use sodium bicarbonate? Um, All these different supplements are, you know, beetroot juice is a perfect example. You know, typically you'll see like a headline, oh, you should have your beets um, because it's gonna help with your exercise or sport performance. But I've worked in the beetroot space for a very long time and that is a very, uh, very complex, topic in terms of who is it really meant for Um, you can't just say go out and have beets because you have to have a certain amount of beets to have a particular effect which typically it's um, to help widen blood vessels um, and allow nutrients and oxygen to get to your working muscle Um, and so you have to have a certain amount and then that amount there's people that you know, there's certain athletes who respond to it and then don't respond to it, and then there's certain situations where it would make sense. Uh, the science has showed that you know beetroot juice supplementing with it for a performance benefit would make sense. Like you know, should you take it in a time trial or should you take it in a 100 mile bike race or should you take it if you're just going to go run sprints? I mean, under what context should you take it? And so that's really you know someone who is a sports nutritionist or whoever is doing the nutrition really needs to understand you know what is it going to do what's the purpose of why you're going to use it how much do you need when do you need to what's your protocol when do you need to supplement with it so that it does end up being um, having a benefit Um, and under what context should the athlete take it um, in terms of the type of you know training that they're doing or their their sport. and looking at all those things and kind of creating a plan from there, and then what I like to do is test it. And you'd be shocked at how many people don't test whether it works or not. And let me just tell you, beetroot juice does not taste good. So I wouldn't make someone take it if you know if there was no benefit for them. Because let's be real, it does not taste good, especially if you have it with water. I mean, it's just not a palatable drink. And so with Mark, that's why I threw it in the the watermelon water. It tastes great
0: in watermelon water. Yeah.
1: <laughs> But with that, you can also, um, with beetroot juice, and and not getting too much into the science, um, there's different ways, different nutrients you can combine it with to kind of increase its power, Um, which is a lot of what I did last year for my uh, colleagues, athletes uh, who uh, were Olympic medalists. I pretty much created a juice for them that was a, a nitro boost, um, but I'll leave it to your imagination. But anyways, um, so wanna, there's all we wanna these- know, We want to know, but <laughs> you don't want to tell us. Yeah, all, secret right sauce, secret right? sauce. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, so it's all these different factors that you have to know and understand. And then this is where, you know, obviously going back to the uh, original question of, you know, do you have to be an athlete um, to do this? it's really understanding the applied science part. And you know you could have a study and look at it and try to replicate it with an athlete, but I mean, sorry, apply it with an athlete, but you really have to n- understand different parts of the study to then figure out, okay, which athlete could really benefit from this and how can we go about making sure that they do. And so actually one of the things that I do with my athletes and including myself is test it. And a lot, like I said, a lot of people who recommend beetroot juice, and especially some of these nutritionists, you know, they don't test it. And there's a, a lot of the beetroot juice studies. The biggest thing is, okay, who are the responders? So who, you know, respond to this and who are the non-responders? And typically it's the elite athletes who don't respond to it. Um, it's the, the nitrates in, in beets, the, the active uh, ingredient, Is just not enough for them and they're so highly trained um, and I'm not going to go too into into um, why they wouldn't respond, but they're so highly trained that it doesn't even matter. Um, And so that goes back to okay, so do we do the studies need to start increasing the dosages um, to see a response in elite athletes Um, or, you know, what else in the diet could actually uh, affect whether it works in an athlete and there are certain nutrients that interact with uh, the nitrates and beets that kind of um, negate the effect. So it's a really interesting, interesting area. Um, and this just really goes back to being able to apply the science and like I said, testing it. So what, um, what I do with my athletes going back to that, um, what I've done with Mark is, uh, doing a saliva test and it's very easy. It's a, there's a, um, a strip and essentially it, after you take the beetroot juice, you, um, you test with your saliva at different time points and then it shows you because the conversion happens in your mouth so in order to get the benefits of of beetroot juice um, there needs to be a particular conversion in your mouth um, and it's done by bacteria in your mouth so that's why as an example you don't uh, brush your teeth or uh, use mouthwash before you take beetroot juice because it's going to kill off the bacteria in your mouth who are doing this conversion Um, And so the saliva test strips, they pretty much um, show you a a color and it tells you whether you're low, medium, or you're high. So you have a lot of, uh, you know, different levels of of, um, nitrates. So the conversion is happening. And so interestingly, with everyone that I've tested, they have responded. So they've produced, um, you know, the nitrates have been uh, converted. And in Mark and in myself, (laughs) We're low responders, so we don't, um, but we're gonna do more testing with Mark and see when, uh, if I can manipulate some things because I've, I've done it in the past where I've experimented with different um, types of protocols, if you wanna call it, um, to try to get the conversion to happen um, based on what I see in, in the studies. Um, so now the next step with Mark is to see if we could Megna dose it.
0: <laughs> I gotta take some more. I don't respond to anything. It's terrible. Really okay it's terrible i'm gonna do a lot of testing and i'm gonna keep everyone posted
1: okay okay so i know that's a lot so i think it's uh your turn no no that's fine (laughs) i
0: mean this is what we want to know i mean i like to uh almost run down uh a list of, of supplements and then tell me it's it's like yes or no but just a few words about them if you see them beneficial because we could take this so many different places Mm -hmm. and but you're an athlete now as well and you're a cyclist so why don't we just talk about that a little bit and how you supplement a dose yourself to prepare yourself for riding pre-training post-training and what are some of the things you do that you would like to share
1: okay um so going off with the cycling uh i'm a competitive cyclist and i train uh about five days a week um and i like to obviously come to anatomy to to cross train because that's really important um and so i do the other thing with being a sports nutritionist and also being a competitive cyclist is the ability to take the nutrition science and then apply it with my sport um and it really has helped me in terms of um actually consulting companies on supplements, um, as well as consulting athletes, um, because I get the perspective, um, in what, in, in terms of, you know, the context and what things will work, what things won't work. And it's really fascinating, but what you see in the studies, sometimes it's just not real world and in the real world, it's different, especially in sports and as an example dehydration i mean that's going to happen as an athlete especially if you're an endurance athlete and you're doing an ironman or you know ironman kona whatever it is you're going to dehydrate and you can tell an athlete to drink you know a given number of fluid or you know supplement or take in so much sodium but they're going to dehydrate and so what i like to do is implement in my training a dehydrated training session. I train dehydrated and I train at a very high intensity dehydrated because it's gonna happen and it has happened to me many times and it's unavoidable. Um, and it's unavoidable for certain reasons. As an example, um, you know, I did a 100 mile ride one time and I was so concerned about beating a particular time, which is a real world application, um, that I didn't stop for water. And I did the last 40 miles with like 20 ounces of water in the heat and humidity. And when I finished, I was compl- I was so dehydrated. I was so I had low blood sugar. I mean, it was just, you know, it was bad. Um, but the point was is that that happened, and that's typical. There's gonna be something in a competitive situation where you know, something like that is gonna happen and your body needs to be able to, take that in and so i really value you know dehydrated training um because it's also psychological so going in that moment even though like when i was at mile 90 and i just felt like dying i had already experienced that before and so you know it wasn't a big deal for me Um, it was but it wasn't because i had already accepted it and my body knew and so that I, I find very valuable. Um, and that's the applied science part where like, if you're someone who is, you know, working on nutrition or what, you know, with the athlete and you can't recognize those things, um, you know, cause a lot of people would say, no, no, you have to have your hydration. You have to do this, you have to do that. But it's like, you need to train for what the racing conditions are going to be. Um, and
0: 100% by the way, 100%.
1: Yeah. And, and the other thing I like to bring up in, um, is something called train low so that's training with low carbohydrate availability and, and a typical example would be after an overnight fast um, your liver glycogen is pretty much depleted in the next morning I mean you have muscle glycogen um, but you don't eat anything and you go out and train and you should be training not at a high intensity um, you know because you don't want to compromise um, you know the training goals or anything but but what I found really interesting in the implied science part, because I do this a lot, I train low a lot, um, and I'll do like two a days, and I'll have the you know, um, the train low be in the middle of the day. And then, so I'll have low carbohydrate availability for the afternoon training session. Um, and what I found was that in the real world, you could plan for that. So you can plan you know, the next morning to train low and not eat anything and go out, and you know, for me, on the bike but there are certain environmental conditions in which your planned low to medium intensity is not going to happen and a perfect example is wind and who's thinking about that um who you know if you're working with an athlete and you tell them oh tomorrow you need to do a train low you know with the goal of training adaptations um but if you look at the wind the next day and you see that you know based on where they're training that they're going to be fighting a lot of wind then your intensity actually went up from medium, low to medium, to medium to high. So should you just cancel the whole train low thing because it's going to be worthless and then you're going to have an athlete who's upset because it's like, ugh, like I didn't eat anything or, you know, and it's it's very frustrating. Um, And then you go and you eat something. So it's all, it's kind of planning for all those things. And, you know, when they do advise to do train lows, um, they do say, take into consideration the intensity because it can compromise, um, you know, the quality of a training session. But whoever said like, and, you know, environmental conditions. Um, so that's kind of like the applied science part in, um, and that's really what I have learned just as an athlete who is applying it. Um, and uh, I forgot what
0: we were No, no, that, that, that was, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, we were just asking about, when you started like uh how you train you you started you went into how you train in certain states but are there anything that you could share with us that you're absolutely like make sure they happen? because now it's you know i've heard of people training at a uh, uh in a fasted state and i know guys who train heavy and they go do intense lifts at a fasted state and it's just a mental game for them so they feel and i've had look I'll tell you real quickly, I'm not trying to go off into a tangent here because I have a history of doing that. As a matter of fact, someone wrote me an email saying, don't do that, Mark. (laughs) But anyway, when I finished playing football, I went from about 255 pounds to 188 pounds. I didn't have a carb for two years. When I say I didn't have a carb- So you were ketogenic? All all day. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, all day. And I swam. I would do two miles in a pool. Mm -hmm. I would do five-mile runs. And I just took- weight, fat, mass off my body. I looked terrible. But I didn't feel good doing that, obviously. And I don't think it's an optimal state. I think it's great to test yourself from time to time. But what things can an athlete do now to put them out, put them in a position to be successful, to have a great lift? And I know there's so many different athletes. There's strength athletes, there's endurance athletes. But just speak to the space that you're in or that you train in.
1: Well, can I go a little bit yeah. off of the ketogenic stuff? Because yeah, that course. was really interesting. Yeah, so,
0: And by the way, I have two emails in my inbox with two clients uh, that are starting ketogenic diets ketogenic diets, and they want information on ketogenic diet and they both asked me today mm-hmm. mark is this something that i should or shouldn't be doing so please
1: oh, i should send you the article oh, I, yeah. I wrote on it Absolutely. actually a couple articles please. so when i first started cycling two years ago um i did become ketogenic and just to tell people what it is it is a very low carbohydrate, high fat diet, and it's very specific. It's less than 50 grams of carbs per day. So that's about 200 calories coming from carbs. Um, And that's different from a low carbohydrate diet, which is usually between 50 and 150 grams of carbs per day. And, you know, maybe even up to 200. I mean, there's no definitive guidelines, but it's in that area. Mm -hmm. And essentially your body starts running on uh, energy sources called ketone bodies and Um, your body can do it because ketone bodies can cross your blood brain barrier and your brain can use it. And in fact, the ketogenic diet um, is, and I'm pretty sure it still is, or there's probably something else where um, it's the medical nutrition therapy for those who have epilepsy because it stops seizures. Um, And so athletes got into the ketogenic diet. um, I don't know when, but um, the purpose was to maximize or use your body fat stores which are (laughs) quite extensive um, and spare your muscle and liver glycogen which could really only give you you know depending on the athlete between 1500 and and 2000 calories and if you put that in the context of certain endurance athletes that's obviously very limited Um, and so the goal is to you know tap into your body fat stores and use that more than your muscle and liver glycogen because once those levels get low the glycogen stores you know, that's when you hit fatigue and, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, brain uh, implications with that. So you you want to spare it. And I started that. Uh, and another reason why people do it is to lose weight. Um, you know, there's all different reasons why you can lose weight on a ketogenic diet. But um, so I did that a few two years ago when I started cycling because I knew I wanted to focus on endurance, specifically 100 mile, uh, 100 mile races and So I wanted to get my body good at burning fat. And so I did become ketogenic and it was very, very difficult. It's a very, and I was a big proponent of it. I mean, my my colleague hated me for it. I mean, I think he wanted to kill me because I'd send him all these studies like, see, it's better. You need to do it for sport performance. Um, But I started to realize that it was not the best approach because then I got good at cycling. And when you in cycling, typically, You know, associating that with, you know, I need to have the ability to go at a higher intensity for a longer period of time. And that's when being fat adapted, adapted, um, is not going to work because you can't get as much energy from fat that quickly compared to carbohydrate. You do need the carbohydrate. Um, so in terms of athletes who would use the ketogenic diet, um, it would make sense if your sport was more focused on duration and not intensity um so let's look at an example of you know there's uh i think there's runners who do a hundred mile run and i think you know it's popular for them to become ketogenic but if you look at it they're just trying to complete a certain distance but not necessarily in the fastest time
0: exactly so
1: it makes sense for them to become fat adapted um now I started to realize that, you know, the ketogenic diet wasn't for me uh, in many ways, um, because one, it was, I I got better at cycling and I needed, I didn't have the energy to um, be able to ride at such a high intensity for a long period of time. I would fatigue. just wasn't going to work. I needed carbohydrate. Um, But the other thing about the ketogenic diet was that it's so limited and it's so hard. You have to be less than 50 grams of carbs per day because, what that's going to do for your body is that it's going to put you in a state of nutritional um, ketosis, which is different than diabetic ketoacidosis, which is bad. Um, There's uh, a difference in the ketone levels in your body, and it's much lower in nutritional ketosis. Um, And going off of that, sometimes people don't even do it right. They're like, yeah, I'm ketogenic, and in, they're not getting less than 50 grams of carbohydrate a day. And, it, and if you're not, you're not in a nutritional ketosis state.
0: They're just suffering.
1: Yeah, they are. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So
0: it, what What other, I'm sorry, Kate, I'm sure oh. you're getting into, what other type of mistakes are they making or typical mistakes that you see when people who think they keep going ketogenic?
1: Well they don't understand what's in their food and you've hit this before on your podcast. When I asked you that question, uh, it was your number two that people don't understand the nutritional content of their food, which is true. Um, and when you look at 50 grams of carbohydrate it is so small, I mean that's like one banana and a a little bit of something like a couple strawberries or a little bit of something else. I mean, that is a very low number of carbohydrate and you really do have to hit less than that and And for some people you have to even go more than less than that yeah
0: it's like don't eat them yeah don't take in a carb. yeah that's the only way because even like if you're eating protein uh, portions you may have some sort of carb Mm -hmm. medley on the side that you're like oh it's all good no it's not all good you can't touch that
1: right and the other thing is is that the other thing i didn't i'm glad you you mentioned the protein i didn't like it because um if you do you can't have a high protein diet on it and that's bad for athletes because what happens is is that your protein can then turn into glucose and once that happens you're not in nutritional ketosis and so that's another reason why it hurts athletes is because your protein has to be lower it's more moderate um, and I, I don't like that
0: Ooh, it's all kinds of suffering really I don't I don't know why I and don't it's, li-
1: know. it's limited foods I mean steak eggs full-fat dairy Um, That's great for a little bit, but it's just so old. And you can get creative with it, but if you don't have the time, it's just not, to me, it's not worth it.
0: Seeing we're going this direction, I have to bring up intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. So please, by all means.
1: (laughs) (laughs) funny that you said that too. Um, So looking into brain health uh, a lot recently, um, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know too much about it. Um, But I have seen recently that it does help with um, cognition. And I don't remember the logistics of it. I want to say it's like a 12 or 16 hour fast. Um, But it does help in terms of afterwards. um, I think it helps with regeneration of of certain things in your body. Um, But like I said, I'm not too familiar with it. And but even if it was if there was a benefit in terms of mental health, can the person do it? If you can't do it and you're gonna struggle with it, don't worry about it, don't do it. Um, so it really just depends on the context and if someone can do a 12 or 16 hour intermittent fast and thinking about what is your purpose with this fast? Like are you trying to lose weight? Are you trying to you know uh, alleviate aging? Are you trying to improve your, your cognition? Um, Because the cognition and aging part, like I said, there's some research out, um, but I haven't looked too much into it. Um, But if you're trying to lose weight, that's great if you do a 12 or 16 hour fast. But then if you go eat like 4,000 calories of pizza afterwards, what did it really do for you? So I think it just depends on the person and what their purpose is with that. And if they're going to actually stick with it. Because, I mean, it's not easy. I
0: think all these diets, and and I know this is probably a completely different episode. I'm certain of it. But the the dieting and the restriction is obviously more of a mental and emotional. It's a control, game of control. Mm -hmm. And I think it all boils down to, and I'm not trying to shrink everyone who's listening, but it really boils down to... I know I can control this, so let me just try to get a hold of this. And even if they can't, because most of them yo-yo anyway. I know I can control this, so let me just try to grab a hold of this and, and get this part of my life under control, and everything else will take care of itself. I am I see it all day, really. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they understand that. i got to have an intention when I go into anything, training or nutrition. So as you said, what is your end goal? Where are you going with it? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that as a ketogenic diet is also very, very, uh, most people are very confused when it comes to it. Really. And,
1: and the other thing that I like to focus on is that I don't like diets because diets don't work. And they don't work, um, especially And people ask me like, oh, what's the best diet? The best diet is the one that you can do for the long term honestly because I see it all the time like oh I'm on this diet oh I'm on that diet but certain diets they're not gonna be good for certain people when you read a diet book and they have all these phases and you know this amount of this and this amount of that that's stressful man I don't know how you could do that for the rest of your your life like I just I mean that's so hard and it goes back to the concept of um, you know what we see all the time like oh today it's the high carb diet is the best diet or the high fat diet um but there's so many nuances under that what is in that high carb diet and what's the protein level that's what they don't tell you like high carb versus high fat you know and one beats the other what was the protein level that's going to dictate a lot of the results right um and i just think that it's just so overcomplicated. and i really you're going to start seeing the research not necessarily focusing on you know diet in terms of macronutrients so carbs protein and and fat but more towards food just focus Mm. on the food
0: quality of the food
1: the quality of the food the types of foods i mean if you eat the right foods like you know eggs um you know lean chicken uh vegetables fruits just focusing on the right types of foods everything else tends to fall in place along with portion sizes obviously but people don't know their portion sizes and that's another issue Um, but I really don't like to focus on, is it high fat, high carb? And especially for athletes, because I'm like, that's a different population, which you periodize things. Um, but I just don't like to focus on diets and it's stressful and you don't see these diets end up being a long-term solution, um, because people always gain the weight back and you know, they can't stick with it.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry. And I'll say this, um, I don't think, when you said they gain their weight back, they don't stick with it. That That's just it. I don't think people, people, I've, I've heard it so often, Katie. Oh, man, I've been watching what I eat. I eat really healthy. And when people say they eat really healthy, they eat really healthy of what their version of really healthy is. Mm-hmm. And that's why when you see, I'll give you an example. I see two women, both in their 30s. One is 200 pounds, and she's obese. And another one weighs 130 pounds and she's fit. I'm looking at, in a 200 pound woman, I'm looking at a lifetime of uh, eating loads of simple sugars Mm -hmm. her entire life. And they really believe that she's made a significant switch and it's going to be all good and everything will fall into place. It's really not going to fall into place because that person may need, to fix 30 years, it may need five years Mm -hmm. uh, of that correction and eating foods in a very structured manner where they're getting high quality foods and she's paying attention to the macronutrients um she could be a type 2 diabetic you never even know because you can le- i always play this game with the trainers you can i firmly believe that i can look around the room and tell you exactly how each person eats mm-hmm. i mean it's pretty simple and mm-hmm. i'm not talking about they eat junk food i'm talking about that person. Eats tons of simple sugars that's all they do and if you sit down with them they probably have one meal consisting of simple sugars and they probably don't eat the rest of the day Mm -hmm. that's really what it is do would you agree yeah i mean and it's habit it's It's hard to break that habit exactly so
1: and it goes back to behavior um so i mean there's just so many different factors and, and i think and the other thing going off of that that really bothers me is when people focus on weight loss and yes obviously weight loss to a certain extent is important but you can have someone who weighs 120 pounds and doesn't look in the greatest shape, and you can have someone who weighs like 150 pounds and they're in great shape Mm. and they have great health and their blood shows it. And I think people focus on a superficial number such as weight loss because your weight can fluctuate by like 10 pounds any day because of fluid. Um, You know, especially for women, menstruation. I mean, so many different things will affect your weight. Um, And the other thing that I've noticed with with when people want to lose weight, when they say that, they don't want to lose weight. They don't want to lose weight because that's not what they're looking for. What they want is to look different. That's yeah, the key. Abso-
0: oh, a million percent. I mean, the please, key, please go and on that's on, not weight, go. because, yeah, because yeah. I
1: told you, you can, people, I ask people all the time, I'm like, how much do you think I weigh? They underestimate me and it's hilarious. I'm like, wow, you guys are so nice. I wish you were the scale. Um, but you can have a 120-pound person who looks different from a 150-pound person. Right. And the 120-pound person could have, you know, fasting blood glucose that's you know pre-diabetic, they can have, you know, uh high cholesterol levels, all these different problems, and then you have the 150-pound person who's fit, who performs well in their sport, and has amazing uh blood biomarkers, and they're perfectly healthy. So I just think it's hysterical. Well, not hysterical, but it's funny that, or ironic that people are focusing on weight when really they just want to look different.
0: Right, and you know, it's interesting. I, um, whenever I met would in-service someone or do an assessment, I would ask them why they're there. What is their intention? What are their goals? And it's usually, if someone, we talked about this today, actually in our trainer meeting, if someone says, hey Mark, I want to lose weight, it's really never the weight. Mm-hmm. It's it's just not. I'm sorry. I mean, I get it. They may also want to lose weight, certainly, but it's not just weight. There's an underlying issue there, and I'm not a therapist, but we do therapy. I kid you not. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't know uh, the field, we do therapy. I always say, what do you want to look like? And they they have they usually have a difficult time describing it. I say, do me a favor, find a body in a magazine someone that you think is an attainable goal bring that in and it might be a woman who's you know like by, by the way it could be a man who's five six 150 pounds and he brings in a picture of a six foot three 240 pound professional athlete mm-hmm. i said this is not realistic mm-hmm. and it's like why not I, I mean i've gotten that i said because that guy's one of the less than one percent in the world he's a world-class athlete and you could get ripped you could get fit you could drop your body fat but you're never gonna have legs like that man mm-hmm. really you're a just lot of not. it's genetics
1: too of course it mm-hmm. is
0: i was looking i was watching uh, uh the, i, I um uh, waiting for a client today i turned over to one of the televisions on the main floor and there was a tennis player Mm-hmm. did you see who was playing today no mm-hmm. it was a woman she had a, like a sleeve tattoo on her shoulder, uh, a shoulder tattoo that went down to her elbow and i was just looking at her shoulders and my first thought was that's genetics mm-hmm. that's not to say she doesn't work incredibly hard of course she does she's on tv she's one of the top 10 players in the world right. she's terrific right but her body at six foot one with shoulders like that yeah that's genetics thank your parents mm-hmm. sorry but it is what it is right right but coupled with work that's why she's playing for the uh, a title right now right right so i mean i think there's so many factors and i think that people that i deter people from saying just real be realistic because whatever you want man my job is to help you get it but i'm not gonna lie to anyone and i want their goals to be attainable and attainable is with hard work, dedication, sound nutrition, and positive habits. That's attainable.
1: And the other thing going off of that, um, cause I've helped people, many people with losing weight. Um, and I, I always emphasize, don't focus on the weight. In fact, I say, can you take your scale and like throw it out? Cause it's worthless.
0: Great advice. Um,
1: I mean, it really is. And I focus on three different things with them. The first thing is um, how do your clothes fit? That's one of the biggest indicators that you've lost weight. Mm. Um, if you have to buy smaller pairs of clothes, that's a pretty good indicator. Um, the other thing is, how do you feel? Because we ourselves are, are, are our biggest critic, and we will criticize ourselves, even if, you know, in our outward appearance, people look at us and or, you know, anything that we've done, and, and people don't see that. You know anything is bad but we ourselves were so critical of ourselves that even a good thing about us we're going to be critical about so if you feel really good about yourself that's a pretty good indicator that you've lost weight Um, especially like if you're looking in the mirror or something um, and you just realize how happy you are it's a good indicator Um, and the other thing i look at the third thing is what are people saying to you if they make a comment like wow you look like you've lost weight or you look great another good indicator you've probably lost weight and those things don't aren't being told by a weight scale Um, and so that's why I like to focus on those things and obviously you could do body composition um, but you know each device has its own uh, pros and cons and and you know you could do that but you know focusing on those things for just a general population and also being cost-effective it just uh, makes sense and I've found that it works
0: and to add to that, absolutely. To add to that, you could uh, improve body composition and uh, reduce your body fat. And your body fat goes, let's just say, from 19% to 14%. It's still really not like the way you look. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's what do you? It always comes down to what's your intention? What do you really want? Because your body fat just went from 19 to 10, right. and you're still unhappy. Right? Do you really think it's your body composition that's making you unhappy? Right. I mean, I trained a lot of people for a lot of years and I think if you figure out what you want then I can help you get Mm -hmm. it but you gotta figure that out before you walk in the store right right? so I think a good start is working with them helping them uh, form positive habits with their training having them understand training uh, what they're doing why they're doing it how well it needs to be done with how much consistency it needs to be done and then for the long haul because you know i know it sounds cliche at this point but you really are trying to like change transform into a positive lifestyle Mm -hmm. not a short-term thing i've also had women approach me say i'm getting married in uh, a month mark i gotta lose 30 pounds i can get that off you no problem that's what i tell them Mm -hmm. no problem you will hate me Mm -hmm. you're gonna hate it you're gonna be absolutely miserable but i'll get it off you and you're gonna gain it right back They don't like to hear that but that's the truth Mm -hmm. so i think uh adapting to uh positive habits and making it a lifestyle change and shift and understanding how your body is affected by foods and how different environments contribute to you being an anxiety eater a nervous eater an emotional eater you need to figure that out
1: right right and going off of that um people don't they're you're right you hit it on the head with the lifestyle People think it's just gonna be some short term thing and then they're gonna go back to what you're doing. But you have to, I, that's what I tell people. I'm like, what we're gonna do is gonna be slow and it's gonna be um, something that will, you know, we're gonna work together to find a common ground where you can make these small, gradual changes that over time become permanent changes because it's gonna be a lifestyle. Like, you're not gonna go back to what you were doing. Because obviously what you were doing was not good for your health or good for the weight you wanted or the way you wanted to look. So this is a lifestyle change. Um, and it, you, it, you have to take it slowly if you want it to be long-lasting. It's just like you don't build muscle overnight. takes, you know, I, I don't know how long it... You're the person I'll who knows. <laughs> I'm
0: just going to tell you. You know many, I said, look, putting on muscle is hard. That's why... The, the world is loaded with anti-aging clinics and everyone's trying to get help from every stop sign on the street it's a lot of work and i tell that to men and i tell that to women the first thing i get from women they say mark i don't want to bulk up i don't want to (laughs) bulk up i mean if it was that easy i would have retired 10 years ago it's really hard Mm -hmm. really really hard to get people to uh uh Produce lean muscle mass.
1: Well, also, obviously, women won't bulk up because they don't have enough testosterone. Um, And the women that do, they're doing some things like certain bodybuilding women. But to go off of that, um, it is difficult because look at the protein amount in their diet.
0: Right. They're not getting what they need. And I always give the analogy of you're building a home. Mm -hmm. You have the hammer in your hands. You're waiting for supplies to come in. The supplies never come in. You're just using that hammer and hammering Mm -hmm. away the house. You're going to rip the house down. You're not really adding to the house because you don't have anything coming in. So, um what you when you did a uh, school on protein needs i think that was a big deal because you know when i'm working 14 16 18 hours and i don't eat enough i literally can see a dramatic shift in what my body looks like mm-hmm. dramatic mm-hmm. and that's in like you know a, w- a couple weeks time of course we know ourselves and we're hard on ourselves but there is a shift for sure
1: Because your body is constantly breaking down and building up protein. It's constantly in that flux. And so every day you need to be in, uh, you know, protein has nitrogen. You need to be in a positive nitrogen balance. So when you're not taking in enough protein, you're going to get into a negative nitrogen balance. Um, And over time, your muscle is just not being fed and not being built up. And you constantly, especially if you're exercising, it's constantly, you know, breaking down and you need to build it back up. And really I don't think women take in enough protein and I don't and I think it stems back because they don't know the nutritional content of their foods and how much they need to do like I actually this is the only when I'm working with someone this is the only macronutrient where I'm like you actually need to record your number really I don't give I don't care about anything else like in terms of calories and carbohydrate carbohydrate could be different depending on the athlete but I don't care because we focus on foods, and then that's the only number. Because let me tell you something. If you hit your number, I guarantee you that you will be so full, that you're not going to overfeed on you know other junk, um, and everything will fall into place. I mean, there's so many studies, specifically Dr. Jose Antonio, who has shown that protein overfeeding still, I think the, uh, the average was like 800 calories over from protein and they still lost fat i mean it's
0: powerful it is
1: compared to carbohydrate and um and fat protein overfeeding i mean people especially women don't realize how much they need
0: well there's a fear there katie right Mm -hmm. what's the fear
1: well bulking up and
0: gaining weight right i mean. uh, you know, they say the number one fear in the in, in, the, in uh, this country is, uh, public speaking, then death. I think before both of those, it's fear of getting too big. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like it. And I understand, though, that there's deep-rooted issues there, and, and they'd rather starve themselves than get big. I just think if they were just to take the leap, if I was someone who was yo-yo dieting and I hadn't seen results... The problem is they do see minimal results mm-hmm. with what they're doing, although it's negative, right? Mm-hmm. Even a bad situation gives them some sort of result that it could please their mind. That if they were to take the leap and do what their body actually needs, or, or taking what their body actually needs to receive, they would feel so good, full, less torture, and see, for th- based on where they are, dramatic results. Yeah. And that would just be the start of it toward optimal nutrition.
1: Right, right. And going off of that, (laughs) being in nutrition for so many years, it wasn't until this high protein diet study that I'm in, did I realize that eating so much protein and a lot of times overfeeding on it really helped me with my lean body composition. And it was really enlightening for me. (laughs) So I I told Dr. Jose, I was like, wow, I've noticed a big difference. (laughs) Um, and because I didn't realize how much protein I actually, and I always thought I had high protein, but there's no definition of what really is high protein. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess you could say at 2.2 for me, grams per kilogram of body weight, um, comparison to 0.8 or one, um, you could say that's a high protein diet, but what do you call 1.4 grams? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I realized that this number was so important um and reaching that high number because i wasn't doing that in the past and i wasn't doing it consistently um and with this study i have to do it consistently and i have been doing it consistently um and ironically even though i only have to get 150 grams a day i've been averaging around like 170 and there's days where i've gone up to like 230 but that depended on what was my training for that day i if i did three hours of you know high intensity cycling That's different. I obviously had a higher protein intake due to those, uh, those needs for recovery. Um, so it's just those things that it's really, it's really fascinating.
0: What sources are you getting your, your grams from?
1: Um, usually lean chicken. Uh, you'd be shocked at how much uh, a small piece of chicken can give you. Um, Katie
0: quality of chicken, quality of chicken. Are you in Publix?
1: I, I, I like Publix, yeah. Oh yeah, it's yeah. okay. Yeah, the chicken yeah. quality okay. And Whole Foods, okay. Um, I don't put really anything on my chicken, so like no sauces or anything. And I usually will combine it with vegetables. Um, I really like like rice cauliflower, um, things like that. And in terms of other protein sources, uh, like non-fat plain Greek yogurt, um, eggs, lots of protein powder. <laughs> Um, And so, uh, with the protein powder, I've kind of had to become uh, creative with it because protein powder can have taste issues. Um, What else? Uh, Protein bars, uh, but that's like you know when I'm in a clutch. Meat occasionally, uh, fish. Grass fed. Yeah. Um, What else? What else? That's all I got off the top of my head. It's a lot
0: though. Mm -hmm. Enough.
1: But I eat a lot. I eat a lot. But I need to eat a lot
0: well you take classes here twice a day
1: and i train before that and i train you know five days a week on the bike
0: i want to be you for a day you train for like five hours a day you can come
1: join me maybe yeah. we could bring sean he can yeah. video <laughs>
0: yeah i probably wouldn't survive one of those rides to be quite honest with you but i would certainly try okay so what i wanted to do here is um i'm going to name some supplements and it's obviously stacked in y- in your favor but I'm just going to name some supplements and you tell me, uh, pros, like quick responses, basically okay. like, should you take it? I love it. Take it for, for this. Oh, is that okay? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, some of these it's kind of stacked in your favor once again. All right. HMB.
1: <laughs> Beta hydroxy methyl butyrate. Um, that would depend on the person. Um, and that's meant to, uh, help prevent the breakdown of muscle. So not build up muscle, which is uh, protein specifically the amino acid leucine. Um HMB helps prevent the breakdown of it. So I would use it uh with an athlete who is in a very hard training cycle, potentially overreaching and getting into overtraining um as well as Older athletes trying to maintain their muscle mass—that um, would make sense. But obviously, following the recommended, uh, you know, dosage of when you take it and um, and how much, as well as the quality of the supplement.
0: Okay. Creatine. Creatine. For I want to go somewhere with this. So creatine in general, and then creatine for endurance mm-hmm. athletes—is it a no-no? Please.
1: No, I would because you don't get enough creatine in your diet. So you can get it, for example, from uh, meat and um, your body store. So creatine is really important for like anaerobic um, exercise. So like high uh, intensity exercise, sprints, um, as an example, and you don't get enough in the diet. And not only that, but you want to, I believe the percentage is around like 80 percent of you can get from your diet and in order to get to hundred percent of creatine stores in your muscle um, you do have to supplement and uh, the amount that you have to supplement will depend on uh, more so like the size of the athlete Um, and you know they have like a loading protocol for it as well as like a maintenance protocol Um, but i do believe that it's important and there's no uh, negative side effects or safety concerns with it Um, And in fact, of the, I believe that there's been like 300 studies um, looking at creatine and its benefits in terms of sport performance and health. Um, And 70% of those studies showed a positive outcome. Um, And going off of that, in terms of supplements, uh, there's different forms of creatine and creatine monohydrate is the one that is pretty much used in those studies and when you see supplements that use other types of creatine um, like creatine esters and some of these other things there's no there's no reason that they need to use that type of creatine because no there's you know the, like I said the, the studies that have used creatine and shown positive outcomes we're using creatine monohydrate it's 100% available to your body um, so your body can take it all up and the other ones I mean it's just it, essentially, it's a, a way for a supplement company to jack up the price of their supplement um, because they state, like you know, you know, some way that this cre- form of creatine is better, and you know, you your body gets more of it. But there's really nothing that is shown that there's any other forms that are better than the creatine monohydrate version. Version. So it's actually more cost effective to get the monohydrate, and it would make more sense. Um, and also, that's really interesting about it is that in looking into brain health and concussions and and elderly elderly. and the elderly um, is creatine for the brain um, and, and helping with neurons um, and building up new neurons and, and you know, energy and, you know, preventing the breakdown of neurons in the brain. Um, Creatine is, is showing some promise. I, I do not know studies off the top of my head, um, but I think that is a, if you wanna call it uh, a nutraceutical, um, so like a nutrient that has a medicinal benefit that I really think would be important for athletes to take, um, especially if they're in a sport where there's potential head trauma. Um, I think that's a preventative nutrition um, uh, strategy, and it would be really interesting to see if that ultimately um, has an impact especially since concussions and and, and uh, post-management of concussions is uh, that research is uh, picking up in terms of how can you prevent, um, you know, the repercussions of that. So that's something um, that I would definitely consider. And just across the board, I I would say yes. That was a very long answer. I'm sorry. No, that
0: was great. Beta-alanine. Alanine,
1: Alanine, -alanine. beta-alanine. Okay, so that is... um, that is meant to help with uh intramus intracellular muscle um getting acid out of your your intracellular muscle so getting the hydrogen out Um, and it essentially is a precursor to something called carnosine Um, and i would take it um in an exercise in which there is you know a high anaerobic uh, component and it has been shown that it's beneficial for um, Exercises between like 45 seconds and eight minutes. Um, and so really?
0: it 45 seconds of beta, really? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting.
1: I mean, I, ca- I don't have more information off the top of my head with that, but this also goes to the applied science part because so someone might think, oh, maybe this would make more sense for a particular track event or, uh, you know, some other type of sporting event where it's that duration. But then I think about it because i'm not opposed to it in cycling and so yeah it could be applicable to like a time trial Um, but then i think about okay what about a hundred mile ride are there certain parts of your ride uh, well just thinking of how i apply it um, where maybe i would supplement with beta alanine uh near the end of the ride when i know that the intensity um, is going to be greater it would make more sense um, and then prepare for that in terms of when I take beta alanine and also looking at, you know, you know, the right dose of beta alanine because you, know, you have to have a certain amount per day. And, um, if you take too high of an amount at one time, uh, you can get like this tingling sensation, um, which I was actually talking about with Chris Harris today. <laughs> He's like, I love that feeling. And I was like, you know, it, cause I, I took it on, I've been taking it on the bike and, um, I just get like this weird feeling of ants crawling on me, but it's kind of a cool feeling. But at the same time, it's, uh, um, I don't know. But so yeah, I would, but it has to be specific. It has to have a specific purpose of why you're using it. Mm
0: -hmm. So I know we hit on a little bit before, uh, but when would it be optimal to, in? because I get a lot of questions on it, citrulline, like, should they take it? I'm going to hit a huge resistance training session. Should they take it pre?
1: Yeah, I would take it like an hour before.
0: An hour. Mm-hmm. Wow. So
1: the other thing is, and this is why I literally eat so much watermelon <laughs> and drink so much watermelon. You
0: probably watermelon. have like 15 watermelons in your oh, fridge. It, it's just, I, or a watermelon fridge only.
1: No, actually. <laughs> that's funny. Costco, stock up. Right. Um, but I also like Sama watermelon juice. Um, that you can get at Publix. Plug. Um so I like both, those are the best options on the market. The other ones, they add like all this other junk in it that it's not even watermelon water anymore or watermelon juice. Um, but I take it repetitively. Um, and in terms of muscle soreness, because I would rather have a chronic consumption of it than taking it acutely, if that makes sense.
0: So, right, I, I, but are you taking, so you. that's to say that you are, taking it in even if it's not post-workout you're just drinking it as a drink like every day so you're reading you're sending a long email and you're just drinking watermelon juice that's it really because there's about seven grams in a bottle
1: um there's about 16 grams of sugar but like i said look at the nutrients per calorie of what right. you're getting
0: okay okay fair enough uh theanine.
1: So, that is an amino acid, um, and that's typically found in tea leaves. And it's really interesting because some studies have shown that if you compare it with, I mean, excuse me, if you take it with caffeine um, in the similar doses, so let's say you have, you know, 300 milligrams of caffeine in your Starbucks coffee, then you would take 300 milligrams of theanine uh, with it. And that has shown to help with. Um, attention, attention span, and as well, um, as, uh, alleviate any of the side effects of caffeine, such as jitteriness and anxiety. Um, so that's a pretty, pretty cool, uh, nootropic, if you want to call it, because it's kind of stimulates the brain too. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, you mentioned just hit Y. um, uh, Uh, Curcumin. 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 Curcumin please.
1: So that comes from turmeric um, and that has a lot of anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties. Um, But it's really interesting um, because as you know you'll find that in certain food dishes um, and it has a lot of health benefits because of the anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties um but then it goes back to how much do you need in order to have that effect um and you know just looking at a lot with brain health and concussions recently um curcumin is another uh if you want to call it nutraceutical to um help with that and um alleviate uh potential you know problems with uh, with concussions in the long term um, and also with osteoarthritis because of the anti-inflammatory, antioxidant um, uh, properties. And so, but it goes back to how much do you need? And I, I can't remember the one that I uh, you know, said to you uh, how much there's in it, but if you compare to getting curcumin in the diet, it's much more than what's in supplement form. Right. And also curcumin is not really bioavailable to our body. Um, It's very low amount. So you actually there's uh, a Strategy you would compare you would uh, combine it with black pepper and black pepper will help Absorb the curcumin in your body. So it's like do people know that so Maybe if so if they want the health benefits of curcumin and and it's been associated with certain, you know disease outcomes in terms of helping prevent certain diseases Um, but you have to go back to okay, how much do you need to have that benefit and then if you take it in, does it have to be with something to help its absorption then into the body to have an effect? Right. So it's, you know,
0: yeah, there's a lot of things to mm-hmm. understand just before you taking the raw supplement. Glutamine.
1: So glutamine, um, this one is more recommended for immune health. Um, because a lot of it, it's, it helps with the gut cells. Um, I, I, don't recommend it I do not believe that it's something that's really recommended for athletes to take but I have read if you if there's an athlete who is uh you know overreaching or overtraining obviously their immunity is a lot lower then yeah it would make sense to have more glutamine um in the diet but to go out of your way and supplement with it it's not I think what people are like you know take it for for muscle uh I don't know why do people take it like that
0: it's a recovery but it doesn't
1: mean necessarily that if you take in glutamine especially from a supplement that it's going to go straight to your muscle right and it and that's what i mean with the gut it makes more sense because i mean in in that in terms of immunity it would make more sense but so i wouldn't focus on supplementing with that
0: understood l-carnitine
1: l-carnitine um I wouldn't
0: have said ZMA
1: (laughs) zinc and magnesium and uh what's the uh aspartate
0: uh no uh Um, zinc magnesium I can't remember but
1: so that would be what they consider a testosterone booster and you know the studies that have shown that it does boost testosterone if you look at the the guys who took it If you, if they already had low levels of zinc and magnesium in their body. So obviously when you supplement with zinc and magnesium, which helps with testosterone production, then yeah, those guys who already had low levels now have higher levels. But if you have a guy who has normal zinc intake and magnesium, then there's no reason to, there's nothing, it's not doing anything.
0: Uh, Yes, you're right. Aspartame. Aspartame. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, taurine.
1: Taurine. Um, gosh, you have to remind me on this one. Did I mention this one?
0: N- uh, no, or should d- we take this? Out? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, you didn't. Taurine is an amino acid that's included in. They uh, put it basically put it in pre workouts, but it's uh, abundant in skeletal muscle.
1: So it's a. L- I can't remember what specifically it does, but it's one of the things of they put it in energy drinks. Oh man. Uh, like Red Bull and they don't but the thing is is that they don't put enough in the energy drink there isn't enough for an effect and I did see something reason, recently um where taurine with caffeine in cyclists and I can't remember but I think taurine out competed caffeine in some way
0: Oh yeah I would bit all day on that So uh, but that's all that's all I got for you on that one Okay Okay casein protein
1: Casein. So people would take that later at night because it's a slow digesting uh, protein mm-hmm. in comparison to whey, which is faster. So you would have that around um, your training sessions. Um, I mean, I, I don't particularly. I If you want to take it before bedtime and have that, you know, steady flow of amino acids um, during your eight hour fast, then take it. Um, but I'm more of a person who's just whey all the way. So,
0: OK. CLA
1: conjugated linoleic mm-hmm. acid mm-hmm.
0: um nice job by the way
1: i i don't recommend this one i don't know i just don't okay. i don't i haven't seen anything in terms of where people you know it's been said to, to supplement with it
0: no problem fish oil
1: fish oil yes so um fish oil has uh, omega-3s um specifically dha and epa Um, and it's helps with membrane fluidity. So your, your membranes and, um, the other, it's also an anti-inflammatory omega-3s. Um, so that's really important because in the American diet, we have too many omega-6s, which are pro-inflammatory, um, comparison to our omega-3 intake and the ratio between the two should be about one to one. So you should have an equal amount of each, uh, in your body, but in the American diet, it's like 20 to 1 of omega-6 to omega-3. So you have a lot of, lot more pro-inflammatory. Um, and this is, we don't get enough in the diet. We just don't. Um, you, ha- you, you should get it from about two servings of fish per week, um, or you could supplement with it. Um, but how many people are eating fish, especially athletes, um, if you want to take into consideration taste and cost for that as well as supplementing with it. And people don't like to supplement with, um, with fish oil sometimes because of the you know the fishiness and the burping and everything. Um, but in fact, you can actually put it in the freezer and you avoid all that. Um, but this I really like because it goes back to brain health. And with uh, omega-3s, DHA is uh, about 97% of the omega-3s in your brain is from DHA. Um, And this really helps with keeping the neurons um, sharp. Um, And it's also, you know, like I said, anti-inflammatory. And I find this to be really important for everyone as well as athletes um, and especially those who, uh, you know, could experience um, brain trauma uh, or concussions. And so to me, I'm all the way for supplementing with it. There is a supplement. and I really like it because the omega-3s, specifically DHA, uh, is coming from an uh, algae source. So, and that's where the fish get their, their omega-3s from, is from the algae. Um, so you're going straight to the source and there's no fishy taste, uh, none of that stuff. And um, I really prefer that route because I think it increases compliance for people to take it if they're, you know, take want to take omega-3 supplementation Mm -hmm. um and interestingly there's you know a product out right now that's a liquid form so it's uh, a very high amount of DHA in it um and having it in a liquid form is great because then you can put that in you know how many people are having their recovery drinks or smoothies and whatnot especially athletes Um, and that'll increase compliance even further because if you think about it how many athletes get pill fatigue because of all the the supplements that they take um and a lot of times with the omega-3s you know you have to take like three soft gels and it really just you know with everything else that you take especially if you're taking like probiotics and creatine and hmb all that stuff it it really just wears you out and you know the different times you have to take it and sticking with it being consistent um so hands down yes omega-3s but the right right product
0: okay thank you very much what advice, we're gonna to transition to a few uh, questions about athletes, but what advice would you give to an athlete, a young athlete, aspiring athlete, maybe he's in high school or college, collegiate athlete, but not pro, that they really wanna clean up their act and, and just a, some quick advice on things they should absolutely be doing they don't wanna miss. Because they're gonna miss a lot of things. They don't have all the information. They don't have a Katie Mark standing by. By the way, if I was a, could go back, even then, I stopped playing football 10 years ago, I would have had someone with me who could just stay on top of everything. You're a pro athlete. Why not? You must have it, really. It's like my car breaks down. I'm going to I'm gonna work on the engine. Dude, I don't know what I'm doing. Seriously. So what advice would you give to a young athlete um, that they just some quick advice that will really be beneficial to their athletic career that they're probably not doing? They're a kid. They probably eat McDonald's three times a week. They don't know what they're doing. And they're going to clean that up, but something that they may not know.
1: That's actually a tough question. <laughs> yeah, it is a tough question. It is Because there's tough question. so many different ways you could go, go with that. Um, well, first and foremost, to find a credible source for your nutrition information. Um, obviously, it's very difficult with everyone who thinks um, they know everything about nutrition and you have you know somebody telling you one thing and you know others telling you another and then you read one thing and then you read another and it's very hard um, and so i would find a credible resource in term you have to look at the you know like if you're reading something online what are their um, their credentials you know do they have an ms after their name do they have a phd what is it in exercise physiology or nutrition science um, you know looking to a registered dietitian um you know you have to you really do have to find a credible source and i would be honest with you i find some certified strength and conditioning coaches are very knowledgeable in nutrition um, especially at the pro level i've i've been really impressed because um a lot of times especially at the pro level the, the cscs is doing the nutrition they don't have a nutritionist Um, or the athletes are working with, uh, their own nutritionists, you know, on on the side. Um, and I would be sure to have a credible source. And then going from there, um, it's, that's the hard part because it's very individualized.
0: Okay. Um and you're right about that there's some strength coaches that go out of the way to really be immersed in nutrition Mm -hmm. and they want to know their stuff backwards so they're definitely out there
1: and you know just throwing out one of them um i do like for the well he was a former strength coach for the la lakers he just uh left but his name is tim de Francesco.
0: gunner is the new coach
1: oh okay you know Gunnar peterson (laughs) no
0: he's the new strength coach oh okay (laughs) Uh, i'm sorry okay you liked him where's he now i don't know okay We'll look him up. Name again, please.
1: Tim Francesco.
0: Okay. Um, now, you played tennis. hmm Okay. I didn't get an opportunity to sort through your, your career as an athlete. But now I will ask you, what is something that you would have done differently?
1: I would have changed uh, who was in my circle of trust. Um, that includes coaches and, uh, uh, people, mentors, um, and as well as training partners around me. Um, I would have also changed my nutrition, well, lack of nutrition back then. Um, that was definitely a killer. I was not in the greatest shape as a tennis player back then, um, because I wasn't in nutrition at the time. And now that I'm older and I've been in nutrition and I now have a new sport and I've seen how powerful I got at cycling as well as, you know, just better in in general and a better athlete overall. And it really has been because of nutrition. And so going back, I guess my themes are psychology and, you know, who's close with you um, as well as nutrition because those are two extra things that really some people aren't doing Um, and it really can make all the difference in the world because you could take somebody an athlete who may be physically more talented than you but you could actually beat them when push comes to shove because maybe you optimize your nutrition or you optimize the psychological part um, because those are very very powerful and I can tell you right now that there's people who could beat me in cycling because you know they're lighter than me or whatever the case may be Uh, you know they've been they're better than me because they've been doing this for 10 years Um, but when it comes to what I do nutrition especially on a race in a race situation and psychologically what I'm thinking and my mental strength I would beat them and that's all that matters.
0: That's right. It doesn't matter how many, how good you're supposed to be. When it comes down to it, it's who crosses that line first. Sorry. That's why I appreciate running so much. You can say everything you want about the way I run, but I cross lot my line first. Mm-hmm. So good for you. So now we're going to go into a speed round of questions. I know you didn't want to do this, but you're doing it.
1: No, I want to do it. All right, good, good, good.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, quick answers. Three qualities that best describe you.
1: Um persistent, hardworking discipline.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Favorite hobby?
1: Um cycling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Favorite restaurant?
1: Um I really do like Komodo, but it's kind of pricey for me. Uh-huh. I do like Smith and Walensky. I like snake. I like steak, so any steakhouse. Okay.
0: Okay. Favorite hobby? Uh favorite restaurant. Favorite food? Steak.
1: <laughs> I do love prime rib. I mean that's a weight on my heart. <laughs> I like watermelon too. <laughs> okay.
0: Favorite, favorite cheat food?
1: Um, I would just say ice cream.
0: Nice. Halo. <laughs> Okay. Uh, favorite sports team?
1: I can't give you a sports team. I could give you an athlete.
0: Okay. That was next.
1: Oh, okay. So there's two questions? Yeah. Okay. I would go with the Patriots.
0: I did not <laughs> tell her to say that. She's answering her own question. Or the Marlins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the Marlins. Um,. I guess favorite athlete. Oh, you didn't go favorite athlete, favorite athlete.
1: Well, I have two. Well, I have three. Um,
0: I know two. I know two of them <laughs> I know two of them all. And Grant can't be one.
1: Well, he's not an athlete. All right. I'm and just kidding. <laughs> I tell him
0: he's not an athlete all the time, but he looks like an athlete. I'll tell you that much.
1: Um, Serena Williams. Uh, oh, she's been my role model. That's
0: the third one I wasn't thinking
1: about. <laughs> okay. Wait, who do you, well? I'll ask you in a second. Um, Serena Williams, just because growing up as a tennis player, she was always my role model. I mean, that woman has overcome so much, and she's just—I—I wow. I would love to be her. Um, talk about someone who has so much mental strength. Um, she is definitely one of the ba- best athletes alive. She is a goat. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, who do you think my other two are?
0: Uh, Tom Brady and BB. Yeah. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Yeah.
1: But I don't know the Barry Bond The former Barry Bonds I just know the current Barry Bonds
0: I I understand Both great athletes Mm -hmm. Wow Those are great ones Um, Favorite making a shift here Favorite movie
1: Blow It's with Johnny Depp
0: Uh, George Young
1: Mm -hmm. All Mm -hmm.
0: great minds come from Massachusetts Mm -hmm. Great song Black Betty Okay favorite movie Favorite actor Johnny Depp That's what I thought. Favorite book.
1: Um, It's called uh, Raising the Tides, One Man Against the Medellin Cocaine Cartel. Oh, (laughs) Jesus! You probably think I'm like a drug person. (laughs) No, but the reason behind it is because um, I used to, uh, we used to go to these, uh, we used to go to the Bahamas quite a bit. And um, my parents actually used to sail through the Bahamas when they had the whole drug problems going on back in the 80s and it was very dangerous and we would go to these empty islands where you know there would be the drug running and so you can see the sunken drunken planes uh drunk the drug running sunken planes um that obviously missed the landing um and so I kind of had that personal connection um in terms of like seeing it in real life and then when I read a book about it or see a movie about it It really brings it to life for me. And I think it teaches a lot of valuable, valuable lessons. Oh,
0: my goodness. Yes, that's for sure. Um, Favorite uh, TV show?
1: I can't give you one because I don't watch TV.
0: I probably would have guessed that, to be honest with you. (laughs) Favorite. Do you have a TV?
1: I do, but I don't have a TV service.
0: Do you know how to turn it on? (laughs) I do
1: not. Okay. Lucy turns it on for me. (laughs) Okay. Okay.
0: Okay. Favorite, uh, quote.
1: Well, there's a lot.
0: I know. I know. <laughs> we have a lot of captains of quote in this community. Um,
1: I have to, I'll give two. Okay. N- no one is exempt from trials and tribulations. And two is never leave your wingman.
0: Never leave your wingman or your swim buddy. <laughs> That's good uh mentor
1: Hmm. um career-wise definitely my colleague carl valle who's a sports scientist and has been very instrumental uh to me and um i actually used to work for him and then we became colleagues and we've collaborated on many nutrition science projects and it's been an amazing uh, learning experience from him and he's really done a lot to teach me um, and he really didn't need to. Um, and then my other mentor is uh, Barry Bonds.
0: Barry Bonds, that's he, the great, one of the greatest hitters that ever lived, possibly the greatest hitter that ever lived. You know, that's what lived. they say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just if you're confused, if you wanted to know if that's who she's referring to, but well, please continue, I'm sorry to cut you off.
1: Uh, no, it's okay. Um, Barry, I met him last year in Miami uh, when he was the hitting coach for the Marlins. And it was such a fluke of how we met. Uh, essentially, he rides, on a, he rides his bike. Um, and obviously, I ride too. And uh, he's been doing that ever since he retired from baseball. Um, and we met out on the road of Key Biscayne. And uh, he was actually drafting off me. <laughs> okay. So the man stop, was doing stop, stop bragging. 40% less work and I was pulling him <laughs> into yeah. the wind. But anyways, um, long story short, he became a very close friend of mine over time and um, he really became instrumental in me deciding to find my roots again as an athlete, but better and to really pursue... Um, my goals with cycling and he's been beyond instrumental more psychologically um than anything else and you know training with him and just the insight that I've gotten because cycling is a very social sport I mean you're talking with a person when you're training for like two hours um and you know just the coffee breaks and everything and it was it's been the most insightful thing and he's very inspirational and It just wouldn't do justice to say like what he's taught me um, especially in terms of sport and life and I'm so fortunate that he took me under his wing Um, and it's been the most amazing experience and you know ever since he was he left the Marlins um, last year we're still very good friends uh, and we talk on the phone and it's just like I mean still everything he tells me I, I think one of the my biggest regrets is not writing down everything he's told me that he's taught me essentially um and so that's kind of uh he's he's my mentor in, in more ways than he'll ever know
0: so that's very nice well what a huge uh amount of respect you have for him mm-hmm. and, and i can only imagine uh sounds like a great guy okay if you could put one phrase or word on a billboard what would that word or phrase be
1: no opportunity wasted.
0: No opportunity wasted. Okay, nice. Do you, Would you like to plug something? A brand, a supplement? Um, you, gotta, you gotta plug yourself in a second, but uh, anything else, would you like to plug? A cause, anything?
1: I would never, I, I don't wanna plug a brand. Um, I really wanna plug the idea of helping athletes, perform optimally and reach overall health and longevity Um, that's really my main focus in my work that is my focus Um, and so it goes along with my philosophy in which you know yes I do research and development and and consulting with companies and uh, along those lines but at the end of the day I'm always gonna do what's best for the athlete that's my focus because I'm also an athlete and I would want somebody else to do the same, especially if they're my confidant, they're my sports nutritionist, they're my strength coach, whatever whoever they are. Um, I would hope that they would have the best my best interest in mine.
0: Nice. Your social, well, tell them about your website first.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I do have a website, um, www.kdmarknutrition.com. Um, and I, I just have you know articles that I've written on there, and I guess you could say my nutritional philosophies, and um, but I have that that website, yeah.
0: Check it out, awesome stuff, good articles. I've read. Uh, have you have, have you read them? I don't have read any of your articles. I just know oh. that all the stuff that you send me, if it's anything to do with that type of information, load man, I get a lot of stuff from Katie, and it's all good stuff, and it's none of it I, I don't know any of it really i don't i mean i love to when you say like uh keep your circle tight and surround yourself with people that uh contribute to you know your evolution how you evolve and, and what you know like she's definitely one of them you're one of them so thank you very much and thank you for taking time out to send me those things because they're very helpful
1: I mean, well i know you appreciate you. it so. i
0: definitely appreciate it okay your social media handles
1: Um, for Instagram, well, personal is just Katie 11 mark and then, uh, professional is on your mark at on your mark nutrition. Um, and then Twitter, I'm, I'm mostly on Twitter professionally. Um, that's where I, 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 you know, talk about the different studies or, you know, tweet about studies or engage in conversation with, uh, other professionals like PhDs and exercise physiology, you know, based on, you know, studies. Um, so that's really where a lot of the, if you really want information on nutrition science, I would actually go to Twitter, um, and read the conversations that PhDs have, because that's really the outlet. It's not really Instagram, uh, or Facebook. It's pretty much Twitter. Um, and so on there, I'm at on your mark underscore N U T R.
0: Sweet. Mm -hmm. Katie, thank you so much for schooling us on uh, all things nutrition. I really appreciate it. I know you're a very busy person, but this is going to be awesome. People are going to love it. So I really can't thank you enough.
1: No, thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. All right.